God, and what a privilege it is to get to gather together as one body and get to praise Him in, in song, to learn His Word, to commune together. It is a blessing to be part of this assembly today. Uh, there's a lot of neat things going on in this congregation, and as has already kind of been alluded to, I want to take a brief moment and talk about them real quick, and then we'll get into our topic of study. But as was mentioned during Bible class, as was mentioned during the announcements, we're doing a congregational activity. Now, that means all of us, okay? Not just some, not just the leaders, not just the teachers. Everybody's involved in this. Every day in the month of March, we're going to take time to read one chapter of the book of Proverbs. Not one book of the Bible, not several chapters of the Bible, just one chapter a day from the book of Proverbs for 31 days in the, book of, in the, in the, book, in the month of March. Not that hard to do. We can do that. And in fact, if you haven't already started, you can catch back up. We'll let you. It's okay. And what we're doing is as we read a chapter, we're also taking time to pray for something specific as a group. Now, you might be compelled to, through your reading, to pray for other things, but we wanted to list out some items that we thought would be good to pray for. So that was mailed to you. It's on the website. We're posting it every day on our social media accounts. There's paper in the foyer. You can pick up a flyer that has the schedule. Just Maybe when you start your day, you're eating breakfast, um, open up your Bible, read through a chapter. In fact, some Bible apps will read to you. All you have to do is click play, so you can just listen to it as you're eating your cereal. We'll let you do that, but it's a way of kind of um, getting God's Word more into our life. And the book of Proverbs is so practical. It's a wonderful book, so let me encourage you to participate in that. Also, that was announced, we have our Friends and Family Day coming up, March the 17th. And all of our services, we try to make them guest friendly where anybody can feel welcome but sometimes the topics of study and what we're doing maybe isn't is relevant to somebody that doesn't have a christian background so that sunday march the 17th our lesson topic is is it time for a reset we're going to be talking about how you can have a do-over in jesus how you can be born again how your sins can be washed away so if you know somebody it'd be great for them to hear that lesson Bring them, bring your friends, bring your family, bring uh, neighbors, bring people to come and just experience what we're all about. We're also going to have a potluck lunch as an opportunity to kind of hang out and visit some more with any guests that we have. So March the 17th, um, 10.45 a.m., our morning worship, the lesson specifically is going to be geared toward um, someone that maybe doesn't know much about Jesus. So bring friends to that. And that was also announced, Nick and Cheyenne had their new baby yesterday, so baby Charlotte was born um, yesterday, weighing 6 pounds, 13 ounces, 18 and a half inches long, and there's the new baby there with Nick, our associate minister. Uh, I've learned to not put pictures of ladies after they've had babies on the screen, so I just put a picture of Nick up there, the baby and mom, and everybody's doing great, so keep them in their prayers, and I think they're still at the hospital right now, but um, I think there's going to be an announcement doing some meals for them too so um encourage them you know they just moved into a new area now have a new baby they got a lot on their plate so i'm sure they could use the support of the congregation here but we're excited that everything went well there with the, the labor and delivery of baby charlotte as was discussed and announced and put online for the past several weeks since we finished up our sermon series on the holy spirit we're going to embark on now a new series of study. What we're going to do is we're going to go way back into the Old Testament and we're going to begin a sermon series today that we're calling Written in Stone. And the whole idea is for us to go back and examine a document written on stone, a document that we're all probably well familiar with, and that is the Ten Commandments. 
All sorts of historical documents throughout history have been inscribed on stone. Those things that we want preserved, those documents that are of historical significance, the Rosetta Stone, the Code of Hammurabi, the Ten Commandments, are those that are designed to last and they're written on, on, on tablets or on stone or on different materials that are designed to stand the test of time. So although we understand that there's a difference between the Old Covenant and New Covenant, and although we understand that we're not Israelites at the base of Mount Sinai receiving this law, I think we can see the benefit of studying it. So for the next several weeks, at least ten weeks, we're going to spend looking at the Ten Commandments. And I think what we're going to find is that even though they were written so long ago, they are very much relevant to us today. But as we get into this study, I want you to think for a moment, if you would, about the relationship of a father with a child. Think about a good father. Maybe your home life wasn't ideal, but you at least understand what the ideal is supposed to be. So think about a, a loving father who cares for his children. How would you describe that man? Well, you would say maybe a good father is one who loves his children. You know without a doubt that that father loves them and cares for them. And because he loves them, a good father will teach his children. Teach them right and wrong. Teach them good things to do, to avoid bad things. How to make good choices in life. Sometimes I teach my kids, you know, about moral choices. But other times I just teach them practical things. It's funny, we joke about because there's, there was a route that we used to take to the gym every day. Well, when we'd go there and we'd pass the DMV and we would pass a store that sold rims. And the, com and the store that sold rims was called Rent-A-Wheel. So every time we drove by, I said, kids, let me give you good life advice. Never rent rims and always make an appointment when you go to the DMV. And we joke about that, that that's life advice that dad gives them. But a, a good father is supposed to teach their children. And I will tell you, that's good advice. Make an appointment when you go to the DMV. And if you have to rent the rims, you don't need the rims for your truck. But a good father teaches his children. A good father provides for his children. Make sure that they're taken care of, that there's food on the table, that they have clothes on their back. A good father will guide his children. A good father will protect his children. And a good father knows what is best for his children. Because a good father is really going to sometimes know the child better than the child knows himself. And until that child maybe gets to an age of more maturity and, and understanding, oftentimes it's the parent that, that knows what's best for that child. So because of that, a good father will also give rules. Now, we don't like the term rules. We don't like the term law, even though we refer to the Old Testament as often the old law or the law of God or the law of Moses. But a good father will give law in the home as a way to care for the child because a good father knows what's best. I was thinking about some different laws that I've given my children, some different rules that I've given them, and a simple one that I remembered from several years ago. Um, we used to, I had a dirt bike that was always on a kickstand, and that dirt bike on that stand had a tendency to fall. So I told my kids a rule. When you're in the garage, I know you want to climb on the motorcycle. I know it's fun to sit on top of it. I know it's great to pretend you're riding it, but do not climb on top of the motorcycle when it's on the stand. I remember one Saturday afternoon, I think it was, we were outside doing things in the yard, and the kids were playing we hear the crash in the garage. 
Xander decided to test that rule himself at about the age of four. He climbed on top of the motorcycle. It fell off of the stand. Luckily, Xander's pretty acrobatic. I think he bailed in the air and it didn't fall on top of him. But again, I, I was trying to be a good father. I was trying to protect him because I knew that if a motorcycle falls on top of them, they could get injured. So I said, do not climb on top of that bike. I was trying to be a good dad, so I gave them a rule. And that's what good dads do. They, they don't neglect their children. They don't ignore their children. They're not so caught up in their own lives that they don't take the time to teach or to instruct. Uh, a good dad makes sure that he's involved in his child's life. Sometimes a child doesn't like it. I know that my kids, and maybe your kids told you the same thing, that sometimes they wish that you weren't as good of a parent. You know, maybe that you weren't as involved or, or didn't give as many rules or didn't protect them as much because they wanted to have more freedom. They wanted to do what they wanted. They wanted to just be left alone. But that's not the way that we are supposed to be. So we think about our Heavenly Father, God. God is the perfect Father. And as a perfect Father, He gives us perfect rules, perfect laws, perfect guidance, perfect teaching, perfect love. With that in mind, then turn your Bibles to the Old Testament. And we're going to lead on up into where the Ten Commandments are found. But if you're new to the Bible, in Genesis chapter 1, we find that God creates everything. This universe, creation, mankind, the earth, He makes all of it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And He created the earth and He placed mankind, Adam and Eve, in a perfect paradise, the garden. And there in that paradise, He provided for them, he protected them, he loved them, but he gave them what? Rules. He gave them a law. The law was not to eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but we know that they did. And because of that, sin enters into the world, and from that sin, mankind is then um, you know, kicked out of the garden, and, and then mankind begins to populate and so on, and the earth, it grows, and the population of the earth increases, and we find that over time, mankind becomes very evil and God chooses to cleanse the earth of that evil through the flood and preserving mankind through Noah and his ark. We go on in the Old Testament story, we begin to be introduced to a very important figure in history, a man by the name of Abraham. And God comes to Abraham and calls Abraham to be a chosen person who's going to be the father of a chosen people. And in fact, from Abraham onward, most of the Old Testament is just a biography of his family. It's of these people that, that, that came from his seed line, his children and, and his grandchildren and so on. In fact, Abraham has a son named Isaac and, and Isaac has a son named Jacob. And Jacob's name is later changed to Israel. The Israelites came from him. And he had 12 sons and those 12 sons became 12 tribes and they multiplied and grew. From the time of those 12 tribes, you have an opportunity during a famine for them to settle in the area near Egypt. And because of a relationship that Joseph has with the Pharaoh, his people, his family, the Israelites, are allowed to settle in a land called Goshen, a fertile land. Not like Goshen here by Visalia, but a little bit nicer. You had, they had a fertile land that they were given, and that's where the Israelites really began to grow and become quite a, a, a powerful, at least a larger nation of people. Well, there arises a pharaoh there in Egypt that doesn't recognize the relationship that Joseph had with the pharaoh in the past, and he decides that, you know what? The Israelites are becoming too strong. The Israelites are becoming too powerful. We need to make sure that we keep them in check. So what does he do? He enslaves them. 
He requires them to, to make bricks and they build big structures for Pharaoh and they are enslaved for a long time there in Egypt. But what they do is that God's people cry out to God, asking God for deliverance. They understand that their heavenly Father is still there and He can provide and He can protect. So God does bring them deliverance through the hands of Moses. What Moses does is he goes before Pharaoh, tells Pharaoh to let you know God's people go, and Pharaoh refuses. So plagues come upon the Egyptians, and finally the last plague that is given to them is the plague of the death of the firstborn. But even in that, God provides for and protects His people. Because while the firstborn of everybody else is dying, the Israelites, and they put the blood of the Lamb symbolizing atonement and so on, above their doorpost, God again protects them. And it shows that I'm still there, I'm still your God, I still love you. And He protected them. And then they lead them out of um, Egypt through that mass exodus of people and into the wilderness. But even there in the wilderness, the Father guides them like a good Father would, a pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. The Father provides for them manna, food and quail and so on. They're in the wilderness so that they do not go hungry. And then that good Father, our Father, our Heavenly Father, gives them rules. Why? Because a loving Father knows what is best. And again, don't look at these rules as rules so much. Well, rules are always negative. No. This is loving instruction from a Father who knows what's best for us. With that in mind, let's read together. Exodus chapter 20, starting in verse 1. And most of you I know at least have images in your mind of this interaction between Moses and God on top of Mount Sinai, so we're not going to get too much into it. But Exodus chapter 20, in verse 1, here's this interaction of the Lord and Moses. It says, Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. That instance, the deliverance of God's people out of Egypt, is going to be repeated throughout Scripture. That was a moment in which God delivered His people, God provided for His people, God cared for His people. That's the incident that they keep coming back to. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then He says, Verse 3, the first commandment here and the one we're going to examine today, he tells him, you shall have no other gods before me. The first command that he's get later to be written on stone is the command, you shall have no other gods before me. The Father who protected them the Father who guided them, the Father who loved them, the Father who cherished them, the Father who, who instructed them, that Father, He says, here's my first instruction, my first rule to you, Israelites, after I've delivered you out of Egypt. He says, no other gods before me. What does that mean? That means God must be number one in our lives. That means nobody else, no other person, no other object, no other so-called God whether it's the God of the Egyptians, which in fact it's silly thinking about this. But remember the Israelites, when they're there at the base, at the beginning of the Red Sea, before the crossing of it, they think, well, we had it better in Egypt. Remember they're whining about that? They forgot the true God that delivered them. God must be number one in our lives. Remember Jesus, 
when he was asked later on, hundreds of years later, when they were testing him, asking him, what is the greatest command in the law? What did Jesus tell him? Matthew 22, verse 37. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. God must be number one. So let's ask a pointed question then this morning. What's number one in our lives? What is our priority? Is it family? Family's good, right? But is it number one? Is it our job? Careers are good, but is it number one? Is it, is it hobbies, things we enjoy to do in our free time? Is it money? Is it safety? Is it pleasure? Is it comfort? Those can all become idol gods. You think about this in this passage. You shall have no other gods before me. Normally, when we hear that phrase, we think of, well, golden calves, right? We're thinking, God is condemning idolatry. It's deeper than that. Idolatry is just a symptom of a bigger problem. What did all the other gods promise? The other gods promised things that the true God did not. Think about it. Think about the idea of a child running away from his father's house. A father's house has rules. The father's house has requirements. Oftentimes, a child will run away from home to try to experience things that the father does not allow. Why did people in the Old Testament run to other gods? Because the other gods promised them things that God didn't promise. They, you know, you think about this idea of the different idol gods. You had a god of sex, you had a god of money, you had a god of fertility, you had a god of pleasure, a god of comfort, a god of children, a god of power, a god of possessions. Those are all things that we oftentimes worship even today. Those become number one in our lives. Those become the things that we serve. So I ask the question then today, what do we think about? What do we dwell upon the most? Is it God? Is he number one in our lives? Or is it something else? What do we dream about? What do we dwell upon? You can only have one God. God must be our one and only. You know, I heard it described this way in likening the relationship between us and God to that of a couple in marriage. You can only have one spouse. You gotta, they got to be your one and only. I love my wife. But if I told Zinni, hey, I love you, but on the side I love this other person too, there'd be a problem in that relationship. God must be our one and only. We must live for Him. We must serve Him. We must love Him. Why? Because God loves us. A good father loves, a good father teaches, a good father provides, a good father guides, a good father protects, a good father knows what is best for his children, a good father loves us. So the question I have this morning is this, do you trust your heavenly father? I know that was just a brief introduction today, but God must be our number one. And our application this morning is simply this. Look at how you spend your time. Look at where your focus is. Look at what your priorities are and ask yourself the question, is God number one in my life? If he's not this morning, we're going to sing an invitation song. We're here to help you, pray with you, encourage you in any way that we can. If you have a need, why don't you come as together we stand and as we sing.